Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may feel confused and not good enough. I'm here today with Dr. Sarah Chrisman to help you face these challenges head on. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Wendy. I met Sarah. We were just reminiscing almost 20 years ago. 20 years ago. We're not that old. And then we were we five are years that old. old. We met, right? We were little. We were very little. We are kind of old. But so the great thing is that Sarah used to have a different name. It's kind of funny because I think yeah. of you in med school as Sarah Dow. Fred still calls me Sarah Dow. Who does? Fred. Fred, yeah. Fred, Fred, Fred Dr. Fred Rivara, who's yeah. kind of your boss, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he calls you Sarah Dow. I kind of call you Sarah Dow, too, mm-hmm. when you're not around. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're still Sarah Dow to me. Anyway, so Dr. Chrisman and I have known each other a long time. We had the pleasure of going to medical school out at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine together, where she also did her undergrad training. And we were just reminiscing that we lived only a couple of blocks apart in Philadelphia when we mm-hmm. trudged through medical school and things. And then Dr. Chrisman came here to to Seattle, and we were co-residents as well right. for three years of pediatric residence. Which was also resident. a long time ago. Which was also a long time ago. We are years. older. Yeah, it's but we've done years. lots. And part of the reason that Dr. Chrisman is here is that she has done so much and has so much expertise because we're old. Yes. How great. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's so a she good thing has, about your forties. <laughs> yeah. We're deep in our forties <laughs> and talking about something. that. Um, Dr. Chrisman studies and is thinking methodically ultimately as an adolescent specialist, how to guide families, coaches, parents, and teens ultimately, and a program at large at Seattle Children's in understanding what do we know about concussions, what do we know about sports and head injuries, what do we do when we worry about them, how do we help kids recover from them, how do pediatricians and nurse practitioners coach coaches and trainers intervene? And then what do we do best today kind of in the slurry, I'd say, of information that's been coming at us that, you know, things have been changing. I've been in just, you know, frank primary care practice for about 11 years. And even through just the 11 years, it's changed multiple times of what to do. And so Dr. Chrisman and I were talking ahead of time that ultimately there's been a lot of fear in the media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a really interesting space. I mean, one of the things that I've uh, you know, done over the years is is have a Google alert for concussion, oh, and it's geez. you know it's been sort of this fascinating process of watching when concussion comes up in the media and watching the context of that, and you know certainly. Um, so I started doing research on concussion in about 2009, and uh, that was around the time that we had the Leichhardt Law passing, and so uh-huh. then there were explain what that is because I'm not sure everyone. So the Leichhardt Law is named after Zach Leichhardt, who is a, a middle school um, football player who. Um, essentially had a brain injury during football and Mm -hmm. ended up with a pretty bad outcome, ended up going to Harborview having devastated injuries. So he had actually more than a concussion, um, but he he was really um, uh, used as an example of like that we should not be sending a kid back into a game who we're worried has a brain injury because he uh, was initially pulled out of the game in the first half mm-hmm. and then was thought to be okay and was put back in the game mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then collapsed and had mm-hmm. a, a brain bleed so he actually had a subdural hematoma mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's he was a middle school player and so Yuck. like part of the yeah. really message yeah. of that yeah. was. You little know, we kid should not playing, be. Yeah. yeah, this there's no game that is so important that we need that kid to play. And uh, well, there's no game that's that important at any age, at right? Any to age, to endure yeah. that kind of injury, let alone yeah, vulnerable exactly. children who don't even understand risks that they're taking. Exactly. So Stan Herring yeah. was really the yeah. um, the the push behind that law, and that he yeah. had been spending a lot of time trying to talk to coaches, talk to you know people across the state, and felt like he was getting nowhere. And he finally said, "We need a law. We need we need a way that this." 
a kid needs to be seen. And so the, the law essentially was framed around that, that if you suspect that a child has a concussion during a sporting event, they need to be removed from play and they can't be put back in that day and they can't be put back in until they're seen by a medical provider. Okay. So just to go back into where we were. So 2009, right. you started studying that right when that yeah. law started to change the culture exactly. around yeah. people activating that it isn't be, tough it out, kid. It is, wait, you might be concussed. We got to bring exactly. you to the side and sit out. Exactly. And so when I first started doing research in this, I think uh, people knew about football. They knew about the risk of concussion. Um, but they certainly things when you, would, you when you would say, oh, there's concussions in soccer, people would say, what? There's concussions in soccer? I didn't know that. And then, you know, you shift <laughs> now to, you know, eight years from then. Yeah. And I have, you know, parents saying to me, I don't know if my kid should play soccer or, you know, like, I, you know, I'm worried about putting my, my kid in soccer. And, and, and that's a really different frame. And I think that it's actually um, uh, not a good frame. Like, I, I'm— I, uh, We've overreacted. We've overreacted. And I think the hard part is that, you know, I take care of kids uh, across the spectrum. I also take care of kids with obesity. I take care of kids that aren't physically active. And right. I'm much more worried about those kids that aren't physically active. And and so I really think when, when we think about sports, it's a risk-benefit. And we have to think about um, how we can— how we can keep kids safe while playing sports as opposed to saying, you know, I think there's a lot of fear right now of like, we need to ban this sport. We need to ban that sport. And I don't think that's the answer. Uh Is it smarter play though? Is it banning certain moves, right? So remember when last year, maybe two years ago now, where soccer, you know, U.S. soccer across the country said they banned headers under 10. I think it is. It's a lot of those things. And so, you know, the... The uh, heading ban actually followed from their, um, both in Canada and the U.S., there's a body checking ban for youth uh, because of knowing that body checking is a really high-risk part of the sport, both for mm-hmm. head injury but also for all injuries. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I think it's a really, um, that's a good first step of saying we want to keep kids safe. Um, this is an area where we know there's more injuries. Um, heading itself is actually not dangerous. The ball is unlikely to cause a concussion when you're hitting it in a controlled way. The real problem with heading is that almost all headers are contested, especially at a higher level, because, you know, ball in the air is 50-50. When you get to a higher level of soccer, if you have the ball on the ground, you, you can control it. But, you you know, if it's mm-hmm. in the air, some you go up, someone else is going to go mm-hmm. up. And if you both go up, you're more likely to crash into each other. And then you can cut. Yeah. Because you're skull you to skull concussion. more than, uh-huh. Yeah. Or foot to head or, you know, yeah. like, but that... Um, so it's this sort of challenge because I do think that then there has been this perception that heading itself is bad, and we don't have any evidence that that is true. I mean, I think there's been people trying to study that. It's very hard to study. Well, I remember but, the yeah. ban as I wrote it. I remember writing about it, and I as I'm, and I didn't review it this morning, but I remember that it was in part two, like how wet the ball is, right? How well pumped up the ball is, and that mm-hmm. younger kids typically hadn't had the instruction exactly. on actually how to yeah. do it, right? Where well, on their head to hit it. And that's actually, I think, an area that we're still trying to learn more about because I, you know, when when they did the ban with body checking in hockey, they also instituted you need to be trained how to body check right, because, right. like anything else, there is a safer, more controlled way of doing that. And mm-hmm. if you take a kid who's never done that, and then you say, okay, now you're old enough, I'm just going to throw you in that. That's also not a safe plan. Yeah. And and with heading, there are you know, certainly a lot of things that you can learn that could make it safer. Um, and we still haven't studied those and to see whether that is, you know, 
whether there's evidence that it would make it safer, but um, uh, just uh, as we've worked with coaches talking to people that um, if you had the ball and you really have good control, your whole body is then hitting the ball. And so there's less likely to be like a snap back of your neck. You have more of a, a controlled hit. Uh, you also need to know where your body is in space. And uh -huh. so you need to know when you're jumping up and you're going to head the ball that there's not someone else right there that you're right. going to crash into. Right. And that is a really from heading the ball a lot. I mean, it's it's a, it's hard. There's different ways to learn that body space. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's, that's the area that we need to work on. Well, yeah, let me zoom out. So, yeah. so that's a good example. Of, so Dr. Grisman has this huge lens and understanding of all the different factors in playing concussion. So at baseline, more than a million kids get concussed every year? Yeah. So we just did a, um, uh, there's just a new study that came out, maybe it was last year through our group that was, um, I, I think we said it's like 1.6 million. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was estimates based on looking at several different databases. So it's a common thing, right? I mean, we have uh, concussions, as everyone knows, right? And I think we're more alerted because of the CDC heads up exactly. education and yeah. page. So that's a website that you can go to. It's called just Google CDC heads up. Mm -hmm. It's typically very up-to-date information for coaches, parents, and even people like me as general pediatrician kind of supporting. But let's talk. So why did, let's go just rewind at basic level. What happens when a child is actually concussed? So uh, a concussion is actually, in some ways, it's an invisible injury. It's not something you could see on an MRI or a CT scan. There's no blood. Uh, what's really happening, and, and you don't actually even have to be hit in the head, uh, because what's happening is your brain is moving within the skull. And we think that concussion is actually like a stretching injury of the nerves, um, and that the nerves then don't work as well. And so with a concussion, you can have a headache, uh, you can... One of the things that's really defining is they often are kind of slowed to respond, and people sometimes describe it as like when your browser is not working and the little <laughs> spooling. <laughs> spooling. Uh -huh. um, and so you'll talk to them, and it'll take them a little bit to respond, and people will feel like that, like my brain wasn't working very well. They'll feel like uh -huh. they're in a fog. They just sometimes they'll say, I just don't feel right. Um, they can have problems with balance and have problems kind of walking normally. They can have problems with memory, although not all kids with concussion will have that. Mm -hmm. They can pass out, but, you know, that's what people used to think of as sort of distinctive. Oh, you, you passed out, you had a concussion. But it's really only a, like 10% of kids uh -huh. that have concussion that will pass out. Uh -huh. um, headache is like most kids with concussion will have headache at some level. So, yeah, so the mechanism is that your brain inside your skull is moving at a velocity that's different. Something stops the skull and or the brain at the same exactly. time. The nerves yeah. get kind of stretched and switched. And even the little chemicals, like what we call the neurotransmitters, right, shift and change in the electrolytes change in the cells, even exactly. like the salt and yeah. the sugar that moves between the cells. So, you know, what is it that what can you say now that you know? I mean, Dr. Chrisman just secured a large grant from the National Institutes of Health to really study and implement mm -hmm. new changes, both at the level of trainers and coaches, yeah. and then at, for pediatricians and parents as well. I mean, what are the things that we know today are good practice if a child, if you think a child in a car accident, a child in a sports environment, a child on a playground, if you think, shoot, they just fell or got hit in the head or had a motion and they're not acting themselves, what, what do we do? Well, I mean, I think the first thing that you do is you talk to them and you try mm -hmm. to see, you know, how are they feeling? You can ask them a little bit about how they're feeling, um, ask them if their um, head is hurting, ask them if they 
if they feel normal. Um, uh, and certainly you want them to see, if you have any concerns about your child, you want them to see a medical professional. If you talk to them and they're feeling fine and you think that they're acting normally and you, it was not a big mechanism, like they hit their head against the car roof, it might be okay, but mm -hmm. I think that if you have any concerns about them, you would want them to see a medical professional. Um, in our state, um, the Leistat Law includes actually athletic trainers, and they're a wonderful resource. We now have athletic trainers at every high school mm -hmm. in the Seattle area, and that's been supported by Seattle Children's, and, and they are very knowledgeable about concussion. They're one of the best providers about concussion. So the first and foremost thing is talk to your kid. Make sure yeah. that you're checking in on symptoms that include headache, fogginess, yeah. lowness, you know, that kind kind of woozy, dizzy, or slow to respond, or slow to think, or process. Yeah. Um, and then what's the data on what to do next? So what should we expect? And someone comes in to see someone like me as a yeah. general pediatrician. Yeah. What should a parent expect in that visit? So uh, there is always this balance. The way I always think about concussion is the first thing that you're doing as a provider is making sure they don't have a worse brain injury. So you're not at trying to identify concussion. You're trying to make sure... I don't need to do something right now. Like and a bleed. Send them to, yeah. Which a lot of parents worry about, yeah. right? They think concussion equals bleed, which to your point exactly. you said earlier, right? You can't see it and that doesn't define it. It's this invisible yeah. diagnosis. And so, so actually, they have, there's some um, concussion assessment tools. There's this one called the SCAT that they just recently updated. They're now calling it the SCAT 5, which interestingly, we skipped over four. So there was the SCAT 3. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I didn't we even skipped know over four. Yeah, I knew it was called the SCAT 5, but yeah, okay. Um, and so the SCAT 5 has actually included some red flags and has actually really tried to define them um, in a way that an athletic trainer would even be able to walk through them on the mm -hmm. field. Uh, and that is intentional because of this recognition of we need to make sure they don't have a more severe brain, in brain injury. So as I was talking about with Zach Leistat, someone who is um, really their mental status is not normal. They're, they're really not responding normally to you. You can't get them to even answer questions. Yeah. That's someone who might meet criteria for they need to have some imaging because I'm worried there's blood. Yeah. Um, this, there's... And the, I'm not going to go through all of those, but right. the main thing as a clinician you're looking for is anything that would indicate this is a more severe injury. If you've done that screen and you say, it's not, this mm -hmm. really feels like a concussion, then the question is trying to make sure that they're not at risk for further injury, that they're allowing their brain to heal, um, and, and kind of getting them back on a pathway to health. Well, and that's what's changed so much in the exactly. last decade, right? <laughs> we went from this phase where it was like pure brain rest, where we kind of imagined putting kids in these like padded, windowless, yeah. boring rooms without devices and TV and without school and without any kind of stimulation to say, let all those neurotransmitters show. And now there's new data on what parents do. So you know your child's been concussed. You see a medical provider to make sure that you don't need to go check with a CT scan, which you typically don't. You typically or don't. Imaging, or an MRI. Right? Or an yeah. MRI, anything. Um, then you, you're sent back home. And what then? what is the best way to have a child fully recovered to a safe way that they can return to school, to life, to texting, to sports? So the newest guidelines suggest... 24 to 48 hours of relative rest. Yep. And the truth is I don't know that that means every child needs to rest. It's also relative rest. It's saying uh -huh. your child definitely should not be playing any contact sport where they could be at greater risk. To re-injure. Um, to re-injure. Um, you also 
probably don't want them playing Halo for 12 hours a day. Um, and Ever. I think there used but, to be but baseline yeah, after baseline. playing, yeah, but getting bonked in the head, yeah. Yeah, there for a while there was this like no screens, no involvement. It, it's a hard thing. I am an adolescent provider, and that's the world of an adolescent. Yeah, They're right, really developing their tribe, and they need those connections. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think it is this balance, and and that it also is is somewhat. Um, as a provider, I think you have to judge the kid that you're seeing, yep. whether you need to really work on holding them back or whether you need to work on making sure they rest, but then slowly start to get active. The way the guidelines are written is then after that, you start to move uh-huh. and, and in walk, a, ambulate, yeah, exactly. start to go to school. I mean, sometimes what we do, too, in, in general, and it, correct me if I'm wrong here, is I'll say this is all about gradual reentry and making exactly. sure symptoms don't reappear. Exactly. So if yeah. you've got a severe headache and you're thinking slow and you're really fuzzy and you just can't get to school that day because you're so, you know, kind of fogged out, then it's probably the right thing not to go to school. Then when that recedes... You can start going to school, but you might go half the day because at half the day you start to have a symptom like a headache, then it probably makes sense to go home, right? Yeah, and it's a balance. I mean, I think that um, we want to make sure that kids are learning in school, that they're getting uh, enough out of school. If you're in school and you have a headache, that may not be working. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, we don't want you to be missing two weeks of school and get so far behind. Yeah. yeah, and so I think there was a time period where providers were saying, oh, you have a concussion, you should be out of school for a month, and that's really not the message that Well, we have, but there are know. wonky things too, Sarah. Sarah. So help me understand, you know, let's say a child is persistent, got persistent headache, right, that yes. continues, and, and yeah. is, you're at day 10 and your kid still has a headache. At some point you're thinking, well, not only when does this kid go to school, but how long do I wait after all the symptoms are gone to return yeah. to play. So what's where are we now with the guidelines on that and both of those points? So uh, the shift has really been towards starting a more rehabilitative approach with those kids earlier. And, mm-hmm. and I think what we've seen is that um, before uh, the recommendations before the recent ones had said rest until completely asymptomatic. Yep. Um, and the problem with that is then you had kids that actually developed chronic pain, like that developed chronic headache, <sighs> had more chronic disability. And with that, that big, big rest. Yeah, and that uh-huh. it was actually... Those recommendations were more strict than we do with more severe brain injury. So you'd have this patient who has a stroke who is starting to walk on the rehab floor, (laughs) you know, a week after their injury. And then you have this kid with a concussion that they're like, no, 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 you can't do anything. And so I I think one of the things that's been challenging is before they did not divide regular activity from contact sport. And clearly those are different Different. things, Uh you know, like Uh having a kid go walk around the block. I have a different Versus going to football practice yeah. or lacrosse exactly. practice. Or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is that the guidelines were really designed for professional sports. That's where they came out of. Like this is, an, you know, these, these consensus guidelines come from people who are covering professional sports and are trying to decide yeah. what should we all do. So ultimately at this point, even if symptoms remain, gradual, re- I like the word, rehabilitation, rehabilitation. and reentry yeah. is okay and tolerated if a child can, can do that with you. Exactly. Do you think a child needs to be completely symptom free to return to sport and contact play? I think it really depends on the symptom. I See, mean, I this think, is why it's so gray, though, yeah. Sarah. It's like there aren't these strict guidelines for people like pediatricians no. and parents to say kind of hard and fast. So well, it, it also depends on, I mean, I think it depends on how they're feeling and it depends on, on whether you think they're honest with you. Yeah. You know, a kid, I want to talk about that part, too. Yes. Yeah. Because so, there are these teens who will lie through symptoms because they want to return to play. And yeah, what well, I've... I've done a bunch of work on that, yeah. too. I mean, I think that we, you know, in general, teenagers aren't risk averse. 
And yeah. they really get a lot of um, a lot of social interaction and support from playing sports. And esteem and value. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they want to do that. And, right. and so it is up to us to try to make sure that they're being as honest with us as possible. Yeah. And that's one of the areas. So we the new grant that we just got from the CDC we have sort of focused on two areas. One area is actually all about concussion reporting uh-huh. um, because one of the things that we've found is that there's big influencers for kids in terms of whether that's acceptable, one of whom is the coach. So if the coach says, you better tell me if you get a hit and you're not feeling right, yeah, the kids, are. that's then more acceptable to tell them. To tell, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so cre- creating scripting too. for people to say, you got to just yeah. tell us how you are because we want you to be a great player and we don't want you in yeah. early. Rather than the opposite pressure, which is like, are you still out because you have a headache? Exactly. Because it's right. the subtle things. <laughs> I, I mean, know. clearly, like, you know, we're not going to be, you know, people are like, you're fine. That that yeah. kind of thing isn't yeah. happening. But it's the more of like, you're okay, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that you know, that's the subtle kind of, thing that yeah, happens. Yeah. And then the kid's like, well, of course, commonly. coach. Right? Because they right. still do want to be obedient to that figure. And they want to play. So what's the second part of the grant? So you have that part. So, so the grant is actually um, – uh, creating these pregame safety huddles with athletes and to talk about both concussion reporting like if anybody on the field is concussed we all we all need to know they need to tell somebody you uh-huh. need to uh, we need to worry about this but then the other part is we need to play by the rules we're here to have fun we're here to play hard we're here to play clean yeah and part of that is that um you know, we were talking about this earlier, like sports like football, like we created football in the U.S. Like football didn't exist before. Yep. And the rules have changed dramatically over the years. And part of that, part of that is actually to make the sport more fun. Like we you know, uh-huh. didn't used to have passing and all these things. And part of it is uh, for safety. And so like uh-huh. there's, you know, in football, you're not allowed to intentionally hit someone with your head. It's called spearing or targeting. And that rule has even evolved over the years. Um, And there's a reason for that rule. It's dangerous for concussion, both for the person being hit and the person hitting. And so that... To use their head as a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And so to say, like, you know, football is not boxing. The other guy does not need to be on the ground for you to win. You just need to get the ball in the end zone. (laughs) I mean, the truth is, you know, Seattle, we're... we're kind of two years ago. Test, yeah. well, two years ago, we had a kid die from football, from youth football, mm-hmm. and um, at the time, one of, a good friend of mine was the team doc for the other team, and mm-hmm. all I could think of is, "There's a kid that tackled that kid, and no kid wants to be the one who tackled the kid who then dies." Okay. And so, yeah. I mean, I think really sort of talking about, like, yeah. we're here to have fun. We're not here to hurt anybody. Yeah. You know, kids don't naturally want to hurt other kids. Yeah. Well, I, I told you, I, I wrote a post years ago that said if it were my child, you know, I wouldn't play football. And that was not about concussion. That yeah. was about the culture of aggression yeah. and some of the language that had been happening at the NFL at that time. And, I, and to your point, we made football. Football is changing. The culture around yeah. football is changing. And it is devising to an, and towards a closer and safer sport. Yeah, and, right? it, and we were talking about this before. I think one of the things that's been funny watching this happen, watching this evolve, is that mm. football is really vilified in the media right now. Yeah. And no one talks about lacrosse and hockey and wrestling and boxing and all of these other sports, which are have really similar and even cheering risks. right like these these well cheerleading like, is different i mean cheer, yeah. cheering it, it, if you're a flyer, For flyer if you're yeah. the one who's getting tossed in the air yeah. and then it's well i was just at a husky game and it's, i was like whoa yeah. like another girl would just go flying yeah. in the air and i'm like holy moly you know like which and, is cool and great but 
I know that that's. I mean, I was just trying to bring up those sports that we don't yeah. hear about. Well, and think we, about like we were talking about before, motocross. Yeah. You know, I motocross, mean, there's, right. there's a lot we of don't sports, on motocross. We don't right, have data. Well, yeah. a lot of these yeah. things are more rare, yeah. and so I think it's more of, of in each of these sports thinking about what are the high risk areas and what can we do to mitigate those risks so that yeah. we can really allow kids to play sports. Well, to your point too, it's like we've gone a little too far and too crazy. We want kids to play sports. We, we know it it, it, yeah. it gives them esteem. It gives them connection. It gives them a sense of purpose. It shows them all the, I mean, I love sports, right? All the life lessons we get yeah. in and yeah. playing and failing and succeeding and like using our bodies and moving and like all, all of that, that your kids play sports, right? Yeah. My, both my kids play soccer. Yeah. yeah both my kids yeah. do too. Yeah. yeah. So, so we want to do this. We just have to kind of think care, carefully about it. Yeah. So in closing, you know, what are the nuggets? Like what should a parent walk around knowing today that's the most up-to-date knowledge from you as a, as a true expert in managing concussions and changing the culture around sports and non-sport places for concussion? Like what are, what are the pearls that we need to know? Well, I guess the first is, and I know people tell you to talk about things with your kids about a lot of things, but I would yeah. talk about concussion with your kids. If they're playing sports, yeah. you want to know they will, you want to know that they will tell you. You want yep. to like, make sure that they, they know funny. about it. Most kids know what a concussion is, but you want you want them to know that you you care about it. Yep. Um, and if you are at all concerned that your kid is injured, you should go. And talk to someone, to a medical provider. The truth is, ideally, you'd be at their games. You know that kid better than anybody else. Yeah. You know, even if there is an athletic trainer on the sideline, they're trying to watch the whole field. They may yeah. not see yeah, when your, your kid, kid is not looking right. Yeah. And if you have any concern, you go down and talk to the athletic trainer or you bring your kid and to you your ask, yeah. medical provider and say, they're not right. I'm worried about them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also hard because the law is great, but we put this onus on the kid. To uh-huh. tell us, uh-huh. and this kid, we it's think kid. may have a brain injury. We're going to put yeah. the onus on them. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's to very, yeah. it's very hard when you're in the midst of a concussion to be able to say, "Hey, I need help." So. Yeah, and then tell me a little bit about what do we know now about kind of the number of concussions and increasing risk. You know, because I think one of the things I'll hear parents or parents will ask me yeah. about at sporting things is, "Well, my kid's been concussed like three times. Do you think they should still be doing this?" And I always think like, "Like, I don't know." So, what's the data on that? Well, that's a really debated area. Um, uh-huh. I think part of the part of the concern is that you know it's different if like, "Oh, my kid down that fell down the stairs when they were two, and they didn't have any symptoms. That probably wasn't a concussion. And so if someone's counting that in the three, that's not going to make anybody as concerned. If you're having concussions that have been in a short time period, if the symptoms are lasting longer each time, um, certainly if you if you do end up having imaging and you have any abnormalities on imaging, those are reasons that people might say, you know, maybe contact sports are not the best thing for you. Yeah. We actually did a survey with some of the sports medicine providers, and that line of how many concussions is too many varies, yeah. varies. from person to person. Say. Yeah, of what people say. And and part what of did, it— Can you tell me the range? What is the range? I mean, I don't even know those numbers. I mean, I would say people start to get worried when they hear three or four, uh-huh. especially if it's within just a few years. Because— can I explain why I understand and tell me if I'm wrong? Is it because then you're more prone to get another concussion, like your threshold's down well, f- and you're going to have longer lasting 
So it's interesting. I mean, just the fact that you've had three or four, there's something about you that means that you're more likely to get concussions. How you play. Whether or... it's the way you play uh-huh. or whether it's there's, – there's a lot of debate about whether there are some genetic susceptibilities, uh-huh. like whether you have um, a difference about your anatomy that makes you more likely to get a concussion. But we know when you've had three or four, something's going on that uh-huh. you're more likely to get another one. Yep. Um, and in terms of long-term consequences, there's, there's very little sports medicine providers or, or concussion providers that would think one concussion is going to cause long-term problems. But when you start getting to multiple, I mean... And what are those long-term problems with multiple? So, I mean, for many years, we've described this boxer's dementia. Like, Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali was not normal. You know, like, that we know that if you get hit in the head enough, it's bad. Mm -hmm. What is that enough? That may vary from person to person, and we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part, is that we've been trying to even... People have been measuring with force monitors and trying to come up with, like... What's the number? How much is too much? Mm-hmm. We still have no answers in that regard. So when a family has a kid with a couple of concussions yeah. and the concussion symptoms haven't lasted that long and their kid is still playing contact sports, they can probably feel pretty good about it. But if something changes where they look bigger, they last longer, it might be time to think on protecting that child's brain. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, I, especially like I think you have to – you have to think about what is the long-term future for your kid. Mm-hmm. And for most people, sports are not going to be their whole life. It's, it's not right. going to be their profession. <laughs> right, right, right. And there are many, many sports, too, that are not, don't involve contact. And so right. it's like I said before, it's a risk-benefit. Yep. And you have to say, is it worth that risk? Yep. And every family is going to make a different decision about that, and every kid is different. Yeah. And, you know, you might be like, this. my kid needs to play soccer. That's their life that's their love yeah but i think you really need to make that decision with everything with all the information okay last question there are general pediatricians and family docs and nurse practitioners and trainers and then there are centers like at children's that treat mm-hmm. concussion specifically who's supposed to go to see someone like you and who's okay seeing me well, I, I think it's kind of the million-dollar question. That's what's still been evolving. Because it's probably yeah. really variable, what I know versus what my partner knows versus what someone else knows. Because even just preparing for this, I realized I didn't even know the SCAT-5 existed, right? Well, for most kids, and we were talking about this earlier, yeah. too, yeah. but for most kids this. with yeah. concussion, they'll they'll get better. They'll be fine, almost yeah. regardless of what you do. Like yeah. most kids, yep. they'll— They'll take a little time off or they'll, they'll take a break. Yep. If a kid is starting to have if, – if, if they're having symptoms that are lasting longer than a week or two, uh-huh. um, that would raise a red flag that they might need to see somebody. Okay. If they're having multiple concussions, they certainly should see somebody. Okay. Um, if they're having trouble getting back to their sport, having trouble getting back to school, like we've, yep. there's now been more of a recognition about return to learn. Yeah. And so I, I think – those are the kids where oftentimes it can be helpful to meet with subspecialists. At Children's, we not only have – so we have sports medicine um, specialists. We have rehabilitation medicine specialists. We also have neuropsychologists who can do some more elaborate testing, you know, if they say, oh, this kid is really having trouble in school that they weren't having before. Thank you. And we have physical therapists, which I didn't mention. They're some of oh. my favorite people. Yeah, because help. Yeah. Well, because some, sometimes also kids might also – Concussion can also be a neck injury. There can be a neck injury associated with uh-huh, it because uh-huh. it's often a whiplash injury. Yeah. And so that may be a piece, too. If they're not getting better and they're having chronic headache, they could actually have some neck strain that could be causing that. Thank you, Dr. Sarah Dow, Dr. Sarah Chrisman. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for joining me. The reality is parenting is a high-stakes job, but the good news is you've got this. 
Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc Podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 